how how excited is the new coach though? Whoever comes in next, they're like, the last guy did what? Uh, yeah, I mean that guy, whoever he is, the first time someone questions a decision, will be able to say, oh, "Come on, this isn't Borvietsky at forward. Let's all calm down." <laughs> United in red. Remember Todd White. Where did Eric Carlson eat last night? It doesn't matter if you ask. It's the Chet and Luke Podcast. Good day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode Tugnut of the Chet Sellers and Luke Peristi Podcast. I'm Luke, and I'm joined as always by the man who still hasn't apologized for publicly criticizing my work as host before the season ended. It's Chet Sellers. <laughs> How you doing, man? Pleasure to be here. Um, Love the show. It's been a minute since we did a show. It's been a little while. You know, to be honest with you, I've kind of forgotten everything there is to know about the Ottawa Senators. So this will probably be just as informative as it usually is. I can tell you one thing. Um, not much has happened. No, hardly anything has happened. It's not like the Senators have been in the news every single day since they've been eliminated from the uh, postseason. Speaking of the postseason... The Ottawa Senators, we knew for quite some time, were not going to make the playoffs. And in that position, the only thing that you can really take excitement from is that maybe you can be the spoiler for some other team. Right. Like I, maybe like you, you are not going to be happy, but maybe you can take that hope, that light, that life force away from some other team, and that'll make you feel better due to the magical power of Schadenfreude. Right. And the Ottawa Senators did that. Against they the Boston the, Bruins, against right? Against the Boston Bruins, which was amazing. Oh, that was the game that they won, uh, what was it, 6-1? to one? Yes. Oh, I love that. That was, both teams were trying to get their coaches fired at that point. <laughs> they were. Ottawa was like, we're going to eliminate Boston so Dave Cameron gets fired and we get Claude Julien. And Boston was like, we're ha- we've had it with Claude Julien and we're not going to show up at all for this must-win game. Oh, it's too bad. It's almost like um, the Senators and Bruins had a gentleman's agreement that if they blew them out in that last game, the Bruins were allowed to fire Claude Julien and the Senators were allowed to hire him. So it's too bad that that didn't work out. And now we're interviewing Mark Crawford and Mike Yao, and um, uh, who else is on that list? I don't know, the idea of Ken Hitchcock? Um, <laughs> I have my fingers crossed that Bruce Boudreau is still getting fired. Bring that guy in. That'll be entertaining. It's, it's not too late for Anaheim to blow that series. I believe it. So you're talking about hiring new coaches. Why is that? What happened there again? <laughs> well, did, did something did something go down? I was going to say, even though the Senators did manage to eliminate the Bruins in a sweet 6-1 victory on the last day of the year, it wasn't enough to save Dave Cameron's job. What a difference a year makes, eh? <laughs> last year this time, we're talking about how Dave Cameron is the savior. This year, we're talking about how Dave Cameron is fired. Well, you know, it's funny because the one takeaway from the Senators' streak last year was there's no way Andrew Hammond can repeat this performance. Nobody was saying <laughs> the guy who's really going to fall off here is Dave Cameron. <laughs> well, I, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you this. When you lose two of your top six guys and you're kind of thin 
at that point forward, it kind of makes a difference. I think that makes a difference. I think having Patrick Rukosh have an absolutely disastrous year makes a difference. You know, I think they will be better next year. I think there is something to be said for having Dion Phaneuf for a full year, at least while he's, you know, still at this stage of his career instead of the next one that everyone is warning us about. You know, I mean, I could see them as a bounce back playoff team again next year. But in the absence of any like serious moves, I think you're looking at seventh or eighth in the East again. But again, I don't know that that's entirely Dave Cameron's fault. And I don't know that bringing somebody else in in the absence of other crazy player personnel moves is going to make a huge difference. I have nothing bad to say about Dave Cameron as a person. I liked his straightforward style in the uh, press conferences. Everyone, like all the media had nothing but uh, good things to say about their dealings with him. If I saw Dave Cameron around town, I'd be like, I like you. You seem like a cool dude. Also, why did you play Mark Borowiecki at forward? That was wild, man. <laughs> so that's the thing, right? No matter what else is going to be remembered about the Dave Cameron era of a season and a bit, it will be Mark Borowiecki playing forward not once, but more than once. <laughs> right? It's going to be not even... the first line, it's gonna if be I not even correctly. <laughs> it's going to be not even, all right, you want to send a message at the end of a game, that's fine. But it was coming back the next game, first line. That's just... <laughs> yeah. Now you're just... Just feeling yourself to a degree that that I'm not comfortable with. <laughs> that will never go away. The 21 and two and two run at the end of last year will not be remembered as much as Mark Borowiecki, first line right winger. Dave Cameron looked down at his hole cards and saw that he was holding the two of diamonds and a Professor Plum card from the game Clue, <laughs> and was like, "I don't care. I'm all in anyway." Uh, it's funny. I mean, people like to point to Mark Borowiecki as a guy that the Senators whether it's, I don't know if it's McLean or Murray or, or now Cameron have been, you know, overvaluing intangibles and um, not really paying too close attention to his effect on the ice. And I can kind of see that as an evaluation story. The evaluation story that always scares me in terms of every time Eugene Melnick gets on the radio, <laughs> he talks about how this team needs to have Chris Phillips back. Oh, uh, man, that guy is just Imagine, like, there's just an earthquake that always hits once a year. Like, this Eugene, <laughs> like, having Eugene Melnick as your owner is like living on the Pacific coast of North America. It absolutely like, is. It's or somewhere that gets hurricanes where yeah. there's really not, you know, it's coming and you can prepare a little bit, but there's really, at the end of the day, there's not much you can do other than move if you don't like it. I gotta I keep on coming back to this one moment. Pierre Dorian's at his press conference, and he's talking about how, you know, Mr. Melanick has assured me that the resources will be available to hire whatever coach I want. I heard and, that, and it, it and gave me a great deal like, of hope. Everyone, yeah, and everyone's just like, this is good, Dorian's making sense. There's going to be money. We can get a guy. We don't have to worry about going budget, finally. We're going to hire Claude you, Julian if they fire him. <laughs> you know, we did the best we could. <laughs> we and did then, our part, Boston. Uh, I would I would love if they had fired him. I'm sorry to get off topic. But if they had fired Claude Julian, I would have been interested to see if that actually got the Habs to move off of Michelle Therrien. I would love nothing more than the Habs to publicly commit to Michelle Therrien and then fire him a week later. <laughs> that would just be the most Montreal thing ever. <laughs> and I would I would I would love it. But anyway, you were talking about the sort of constant underlying chaos that exists that you can't control when uh, Eugene Melnick is in your life and possibly owning your hockey team. Yeah, um, Pierre Dorian was like, don't worry about the money. We're going to get a guy. He's going to be good. I don't know why Pierre Dorian is talking like 
Donald Trump in my recollection of this. <laughs> He's going to make like, Ottawa great again. He is. <laughs> I've got the hats printed up. Three hours later, Eugene Melnick goes on the radio and, you know, Ian's like, yeah, so uh, Pierre is like, you know, we're going to, we've got the money there to hire a coach. So how do you feel about, you know, hiring a guy if he's, you know, five million, if he's worth five million dollars a year? And Eugene Melnick's like, pardon? <laughs> I is assume that, is that how much coaches cost now? Holy oh, yeah. smokes. He walked back that available resources <laughs> thing pretty quickly. I think when when Eugene Melnick says, yes, I will give you the resources you need to hire a coach. What he means is like a phone. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think he meant five million dollars. You're a go getter, Pierre go get him i mean the only way that could have been probably more uplifting and then immediately soul crushing in the space of about three hours would be if eugene melanick came out and said yes i will give pierre the uh, resources he needs to hire the coach uh for this team and that coach is john tortorella <laughs> <laughs> it could always be worse sense fans that, i was kind of hoping that montreal would fire michelle Terrien because uh, as you know teams are looking for coaches the specter of randy carlisle hovers like a dank miasma over the proceedings oh like, god yeah <laughs> he's a well he's an experienced coach and who wouldn't want to bring in the guy who hated clark <laughs> MacArthur and you know <laughs> dion Phaneuf uh, not being a good enough captain uh <laughs> Who does, do we have any other ex-Leafs or other people that Randy Carlisle hates? But didn't he coach Bobby Ryan? Um, yes, he did. Oh, good. I'm sure that worked out well, too. <laughs> that is a um, probably a worst-case scenario. Well, I, <laughs> I hesitate to use the term worst-case scenario when talking about the Senators. <laughs> but yeah, I would not be excited about Randy Carlisle. I wouldn't be excited about Mark Crawford or Alain Vigneault if he gets fired by the Rangers. Not excited about that guy. That guy who's now playing the Rangers' Mark Borvietsky on the first pairing. <laughs> Let's see what he can do with the Ottawa Senators. Yeah, the guy who basically has had a team all year that has um, been unsustainably good and people keep saying it's not as good as they think it is, that's the guy you want to bring in to coach the Senators. <laughs> um, um, then you've got Guy Boucher's name keeps throw getting thrown around. Uh, you've got Mike Yao, who I guess has already had an interview. And oh. Mike Yao's young, right? Like, isn't he in his um, like late 30s or early 40s? Mike Yo looks like the second on like some Albertan curling team. He does look like that. He looks like He looks like he should be brought to you by Pinties. <laughs> Live well, eat well. Also, just as long as we're talking about coaches' ages, was anybody just a little bit surprised to realize that Dave Cameron was actually 57? Like, I'll give Dave Cameron credit. He looks pretty good for 57. It must be all the yoga he does. Oh, yeah. My dude is lean. <laughs> so Dave Cameron is actually coaching at the Worlds with Mike Yao. What do you think he says when Mike <laughs> Yao is like, so what's it like in Ottawa? Like, uh, sort of low key, not too stressful. You know, lots of support from management and the owner. Must be great, right? What do you think um, Dave Cameron says in that situation? This is Eugene Melnick's number. If it <laughs> rings on your phone, don't answer. Yeah. Would you like to see the gaping hole in my back uh, that Eugene <laughs> Melnick made with three weeks to go? Do you think Eugene Melnick has a publicist? <laughs> or like a PR yeah. representative? Yeah, Did Eugene Melnick. <laughs> like, it's kind of amazing watching all the press slowly turn on the huge. <laughs> 
Uh-huh. And they're kind of like, yo, thing no one talks about. Brian Murray did a great job of managing Eugene Melnick. I mean, that interview he gave three weeks before the end of the season where he kind of put the knife into Cameron. It was great because Cameron said in the press conference, no, I haven't talked to Eugene, but I was hurt by what he said. And people were saying, oh, Eugene Melnick should really call up Dave Cameron and apologize. Because I think he'd said he was putting off the call. Like, he hadn't called him since he'd been fired, right? Mm -hmm. And that was in response to a comment that he made about Cameron choosing to start Matt O'Connor in the home opener, right? Yeah. Because uh, Craig Anderson was hurt. And I know he just meant it as an example, but what was great about that was that it was a comment that he managed to have people then say, but he should also apologize to Matt O'Connor. <laughs> I remember, I think it was Elliot Friedman in his 30 Thoughts was like, Melnick really should call up his AHL goalie and apologize to him. So with one comment, he managed to piss off both his prize free agent goalie from last year and his coach. So good for Eugene Melnick, I guess. That's that PR team in action. Yeah. What can't that guy do? I know, right? I mean, you're like, is there anyone on this team Eugene Melnick can't alienate? And the answer appears to be no. Well, I mean, he had his kind of end of year media frenzy, which <laughs> seems to flare up like herpes every now and then. You don't know when it just happens and you try to contain it as best you can. Yeah, it's, uh, kind of, it's like winter in uh, Game of Thrones. Yeah, it's coming. Exactly. You don't know when, but it's definitely coming. Exactly. So now he's, uh, where is he? He lives in Barbados, right? He's gone back to Barbados. He's hanging out at Burt's and we don't know when he'll come back. But uh, all we can do is kind of live our lives in the houses we've built on this shifting sand and continue to mix metaphors until Eugene Melnick rears his head again. I loved that moment in the uh, Mendez interview where Melnick just casually drops. You know, he's like, I'm going on vacation for three months anyway. Like, <laughs> that is the lowest key stunting uh, I have ever heard. It was the best. Uh, well, you know you're in a good place when you have fans that are openly rooting for your team to be bought by a clown who went to space. <laughs> Because that is somehow... How is, how is that the best case scenario? Because that it's is awful. that is somehow preferable to Eugene Melnick. Save us, space Jesus. Like, I mean, the thing the thing is, and it's, it's selfish, but as a fan, like, your ideal owner is basically just a kindly old wallet, right? Yeah, just like, a faceless bag of money. That's really what you want. Just pays the bills without complaints. That's really what you want. And never goes on the radio. <laughs> Was was it Don Brennan? I know Don Brennan recently wrote the article about signing um, Stamkos, uh, which, for the record, I agree with Don Brennan on that one. Um, but didn't he also write something recently about how Alfredson should be uh, considered to be the next coach of the uh, of the franchise? Yep. How um, how bad of an idea is that? And and I say that not not specifically in respect to Don Brennan, but because I've, I've heard other people say it as well. How much do you not want Daniel Alfredson to be the next coach of this team? Here's the thing: is we've already had a painful and protracted departure with Daniel Alfredson, the greatest player that the franchise has ever known. I can't do that again. I don't want to put Daniel Alfredson in a position to fail. Exactly. And and I mean, I don't even know that there's any indication that he'd necessarily be a good coach or not. Um, I know that when he was the captain, people said, oh, yeah, he's a good captain. He's a leader. He's not really like a big rah-rah kind of guy. So I don't know that that's necessarily a good fit. But every coach ends with a firing at some point, And I cannot foresee a situation where you want to put Alfredson in a position where you're like, you know what? Now you're fired. You haven't done yeah. a good job, now you're fired. And yeah. the only thing worse than making Alfredson the coach, in my opinion, because again, if you want him hanging around the team and giving Eric Carlson advice, he's already doing that. The only thing worse than making Alfredson the coach is making him the assistant coach. Oh, 
Because then every time the senators lose a game, there's going to be is it time to is it time to promote <laughs> Alfredson? It's going to be like you know, um, it's going to be like a Game of Thrones kind of thing. Oh man, can you imagine how insufferable that would be? We'd have people trying to hit Daniel Alfredson with the mad actually about how zone entries are the key to power play success. Yeah, like what if it's Daniel? Like, you got to stop dumping it in, Alfie. What if what it's if Daniel Alfredson control. becomes a coach and it turns out he's Patrick Waugh? <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. Like, I don't trust players at all. No offense to players, but, you know, I've seen Patrick Law just absolutely destroy his own team. Um, same thing with Trevor Linden and Vancouver when I talk about things on a you know management level. Does anybody know to what his new role is going to be next year in the in the Pierre Dorian regime? Has anybody said that? Things have been kind of quiet on that front as far as I know. Because as far as I know, even as a hockey advisor, I think his job is basically whatever he wants to do. Yeah, I think this year in particular, he was just kind of like learning the ropes, seeing how the organization works on different levels. Sometimes he'd be in Binghamton watching, you know, the development stuff. Sometimes Sometimes he'd be on the ice, you know, working on Mike Hoffman's one-timer. Sometimes he'd be in the box with Brian Murray working on his expressive facial expressions. Right. Um, Scowling uh, behind a cup of Tim Horton's coffee. Yeah. That's the um, Brian Murray move. I feel like the next step in Daniel Alfredson's development is we got to get that guy on the radio. He was never a really dynamic interview, you know. <laughs> so basically, he's the exact opposite of Eugene Melnick. Exactly. Exactly. I'm thinking like a My Fair Lady situation where we try to get Daniel Alfredson to teach Eugene Melnick to be restrained in the media. <laughs> can't can be done. Alfie do it? It's his greatest challenge to date. You cannot throw a saddle on a rainbow. It can't be done. <laughs> I I just want to keep those two separate. I want I, <laughs> I want Daniel Alfredson to have a strong email filter, and I just want to. <laughs> I just want Alfie to be Alfie. I want him to do his thing. But uh, uh, are you excited? We were talking about the front office. Are you excited for the Pierre Dorian regime? Do you think he is his own man? Man, that guy is just human real talk. Oh, so far, yeah. Like... <laughs> But he used to have, like, more of a shine on him, I feel. Like, Pierre Dorian, back when he was sort of seen as, like, the scouting and draft guru, was sort of the guy that people said, oh, yeah, he's really smart, and he's got a good eye for talent and all of that. And now he's kind of just, oh, he's the assistant GM, and are things really going to change, or is this going to be more of the same? Like, he was a genius when the team was good, and now he's kind of been sort of tarnished by the same brush, because everybody now, the way things have been rewritten, everyone now assumes a true genius in the senator's front office was Tim Murray. <laughs> How's that going, Buffalo? <laughs> they made a huge jump this year. They like they improved their goal differential by like twenty seven and right. got you know thirteen more points and still finished third last or some such nonsense. S- sleeper playoff team next year. All they need is a goalie. <laughs> But uh, I am I am interested to see what Dorian does. I do think he will be probably more analytics friendly. Um, not that I think that's the only mark of a GM, but I do think. I mean, as much as I do like Brian Murray, I do think when you're you know in your seventies and you've been in hockey pretty much your entire life, you probably do have in your own view a fairly fairly good idea of how you want to do things and what you want to pay attention to and at a certain point there's just no new information you can fit in your head so i do think Mm -hmm. dorian will be a little more open-minded about that stuff whether or not they actually hire somebody off of twitter or not but um the one area where i kind of feel like dorian is not going to be as successful as murray is trading because I feel like Brian Murray's the kind of guy that basically would just sit down at a bar with another old dude and like work out these crazy trades. Uh, yeah, and I don't, I, and I don't know that Pierre Dorian is at that level yet. 
Yeah, I think Brian, like Brian Murray seems to have this air about him where he'd just sit down with someone and be like, okay, so here's the thing. You remember how it went down in LA in 87? Right. You owe me one. Exactly. Give me this. And the next <laughs> thing you know, Colin Greening and Jared Cowan off the team. <laughs> that, uh, that, that is a deal that it does not feel like uh, Pierre Dorian could pull. Good. He, does, he, does, he just doesn't know where the bodies are buried yet. He hasn't gotten drunk with enough um, old boys. The Leafs seem to like Greening a little bit, and they're not in a position where they want to contend next year. So I suspect that he's going to um, he's going to get a little play next year. With oh, the man, that's, that, that's been amazing to watch. Kind of the Leafs fans being like, oh, this Colin Greening guy, not bad. You put, <laughs> not him, bad. On Neeland, you put him on Nylander's wing, and he makes stuff happen. Like, yeah, he's I've only, seen he's that only, one before. He's only 30. <laughs> he's like Toronto Young, so that'll be great. <laughs> we'll, pull, we'll play him with Stamkos next year. <laughs> He'll put up those Corey Conacher numbers, and then we'll trade him for Ben Bishop. Can we take a minute to acknowledge? Like we, we joke, we will joke a lot on this podcast. I we have a good time. That, I don't think we're. I don't think we're breaking the news when I tell you that. But I want to get very serious here for a minute, and I think we need to acknowledge the contributions to the Ottawa Senators franchise from the God Brian Murray. Uh, we wish him well and. Things maybe didn't work out. Uh, he did some good things. He did some bad things uh, during his time in Ottawa. But, uh, but boy, did he do things. Oh, he did things all right. That's for sure. I think when I think looking back on Brian Murray, well, we can safely say that no one did things quite like him. And and, and I you am can s- you can agree with you can agree with that you can disagree with that, but you can't argue he was a guy who did stuff. No, and I am I am sympathetic to the whole he did the best he could with with the hand he had argument. So in a market where you have no money but have to kind of try to stay in the playoffs every year, he did probably as good a job as anybody would do under those circumstances. Yeah, I mean, he took a team that had just gone to the Stanley Cup finals and did a masterful job of trading away all those players except for Chris Neal. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, he replaced them with other with other players who I quite like, to be honest. But he did he did resign assistant captain Chris Phillips, though. No, oh, that's that's true. I think it's very I think it's very fitting that Brian Murray's last kind of transaction as general manager will have been that Chris Neal contract. Was that after the FNUF trade? Um, I think so. Okay, his last trade would will, will be the FNUF trade. Yes. Actually, technically, <laughs> not to actually you, his last trade will be Shane Prince for a third round pick. <laughs> Uh, well, that's just perfect. And how Western New York is that guy's playoff mustache? Oh, <laughs> the worst. Oh, man. It's like some, it's like he licked his upper lip and then just smeared some dirt on there. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like he's the bassist for an Eagles cover band. <laughs> so somehow I think I'm out of takes. I never thought that would actually happen. You have yeah, all, you had all these takes stored up in you over the last several weeks. We haven't been doing this podcast. I assumed you'd just be take after take after take after take, and I just sort of slowly fade the podcast out as you continue to rant about <laughs> something. Maybe we'll do that one day. You know, which Billy Joel song is uh, <laughs> Alex Shea's song? Which Steely Dan album is Eric Carlson? Yeah, I mean I think- the answer is the answer is Gaucho, but that we can get into Pardon? that on it. We can get oh. into that on another podcast. Um, I respectfully disagree, sir. I think we should take this outside the uh, context of this podcast. All right. Well, that, this is, is, that is an outrageous take. If this is the last podcast we ever do, you'll know why. <laughs> All right, folks. Uh, we'll try to see you in a few weeks. Uh, not as long a break this time. Take care, and we'll see you soon. Enjoy your spring. For a couple of fowlers who both still live with their moms Breaking the town's local 
hockey team down, some microphones on. No other podcast was finer. There was more of a hit with the big rig diners. We never thought they'd make it past episode five. Whoa, somehow these dudes named Shed and Parisi are live. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Just on Chris Phillips, I worked this out the other day. He got $5 million over two years to play somewhere in the neighborhood of 35 games. He made something like $140,000 per game, mm-hmm. which prorated over a season means he, he was basically, for the performance he gave Ottawa, he was basically an $11.5 million player. <laughs> When you work it out on a per game basis, so good oh, for you, man. good for you signing that last contract, Chris Phillips, and making it to eleven seventy nine. And if I were Daniel Alfredson and I still had a little bit of a shot left, nobody would begrudge the guy unretiring, playing the first shift and only the first shift of two games, making it back to the press box even before they run the first out of town scoreboard, and eating nachos, saying it's fine, I just did cardio, <laughs> so that he could pass Chris Phillips and take that record back even if he just unretired played the first 30 second shift and then made the team play with 11 forwards for the rest of the game you think anybody's mad at daniel alfredson over that i don't think so we're in a post borvietsky at forward paradigm right here like you can't tell you can't tell me that 44 year old daniel alfredson isn't a better option at forward than mark borvietsky you can't do it